As we come to our first text, the text we've been hearing throughout this sermon series, we're in Luke chapter 23, and we remember that one of the ways that God meets us and speaks to us is in the reading of God's holy word. So let us open our hearts. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. And then Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. But they were insistent and said he stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee where he began even to this place. Our second text is from the Gospel of Matthew, the eighth chapter, verses 28 through 34. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. When Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demoniacs, that's two people who were possessed by demons, coming out of the tombs, met him. They were so fierce and violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, what have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged Jesus, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So they came out and entered the swine. And suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. The swine herds ran off, and on going into the town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the demoniacs. Then the whole town, everyone, came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are uh, approaching the finish line of this four-week sermon series that we've called The Problematic Jesus. During the month of August, we've looked at four discrete gospel stories where uh, Jesus' actions, where Jesus' teachings uh, caused controversy or stirred up problems with the religious leaders of his day or with the community at large and sometimes even both. I've said it throughout this series that Jesus wasn't trying to be ornery. He wasn't trying to be a problem. He was just simply faithful to the mission at hand, to the mission to bear witness to the coming of the kingdom of God, to bear witness to the good news that God was with and for the people in him, in Jesus Christ. And the big idea that anchored this series is that behind every problematic or controversial action or teaching of Jesus is a radical truth. Maybe to say it this way, behind every radical action and radical teaching of Jesus, there is a radical truth to be embraced. 
In week one, we heard a story about the religious leaders who upon witnessing Jesus casting out demons, uh, began to claim that Jesus had the devil living inside of him. That he was obviously a part of Satan's family if he had the power to cast out demons. But behind that radical action of casting out demons, we discovered the radical truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And that Jesus has the power over the natural and the supernatural world. And he has the power to liberate us and free us from that which binds us, that which holds us down. In week two, we heard that familiar story of Jesus entering the temple on that week we call holy, uh, leading up to Easter, where he walked into the temple and he began to overturn the money changers' tables. He began to physically restrain people from doing their business within the temple. This radical action uh, led us in on a radical truth, that this temple, which was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, had become a den of robbers. And what that meant was is that they, the, the folks who were running the temple, their day-to-day operation, were using it as a home base to keep outsiders out and insiders in. In fact, some were even plotting violence against those outsiders. Last week, we heard a story about Jesus teaching in the synagogue when a man with a withered hand came to him. Uh, the religious leaders were watching Jesus. It was the Sabbath day, and even healing was considered to be work on the Sabbath, and no, no in that tradition. And Jesus realized what was in their hearts. He healed the man, and behind that radical action was a radical truth that our hearts should break for that which breaks the heart of God. That our hearts should break for that which breaks the heart of God, and not which motivates our stony, self righteous hearts. And in this final week, we have another demon story that caused great problems, great controversy, as Jesus came to this town in Gentile territory. To discover the radical truth that's behind this radical action, I'd invite you now to join me in prayer. Lord, break open this word afresh to us this day so that we would be challenged, that we would be changed that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space, who joined in for worship remotely, that we'd even be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. There's a well-traveled story, and perhaps you have heard it, about a monk who began each and every day with morning prayer down by the river near his dwelling. And on this particular day, during his prayer and mindfulness exercises, he noticed that the river was rising. He knew it had rained the night before and the water was pouring down the mountains and the river began to rise. He also noticed that on some roots that sort of hung suspended over the riverbanks, he noticed a scorpion who was struggling to make its way back to the bank as water began to cover part of that root system. The monk did something very unusual. He got up from his prayerful posture, he went down the banks, and he extended himself on the roots, and he reached for the scorpion. And as he did, the scorpion stung him in the hand. He withdrew, and then he reached out again, and again the scorpion struck him. He repeated this a few more times. At the same time, a passerby was taking a morning walk along the river. And he noticed the monk, and he noticed the monk trying to save the scorpion. And the observer said to the monk, don't you know that a scorpion, by its nature, wants to sting? 
And the monk replied, that may well be, but it's in my nature to save. It's in my nature to save. And the monk continued his efforts to rescue the small creature. The truth behind Jesus' controversial and radical action in the eighth chapter of Matthew has everything to do, everything to do with the nature of Christ and the nature of human beings. It has everything to do with the nature of Christ and the nature of human beings. It is in Christ's nature to save and to rescue. It's in our nature to try to save ourselves. It's in Christ's nature to be merciful. It's in our nature to be vengeful, resentful, vindictive. That's not to say, of course, and this is important to note, it's not to say that human beings are incapable of doing the good. Of course we are capable of doing the good. Of course we're capable of mercy, of justice, of altruism. We're capable of being other-focused. Katie and I uh, arrived back to our house yesterday following Luke's cross-country meet, uh, and we realized that we locked ourselves out of the house. And so we bickered and blamed each other for a little while, <laughs> trying to make the point that it was the other's fault that we were locked out. Now, some might be thinking, well, shouldn't you have a spare key? And that's the thing. Both of our keys and the spare key were locked in the house. So Katie said, I'm going for a walk. And I stayed on the porch. I called Craig Anderson, our director of facilities here at First Perez. He has a key to the manse. Without missing a beat, when I told him our predicament, he said, I'm on my way. It'll take me about 45 minutes, so be on the lookout for me. I mean, 45 minutes, not a simple, not a simple drive. And yet this act proves, right, that, that people do the good, right? It proves that they'll go the second mile. It proves they can be others other focused rather. But Katie and my bickering and blaming also prove that we're really good at stinging each other. We're good at that as human beings. And that is the fundamental difference between the substance of Christ's character and the substance of our character. That's the difference. He does not have the capacity to sting. He only has the capacity to do good. He only has the capacity to do what is just. He only has the capacity to do what love calls for, to be gracious and to save. And while we do have the capacity for and often do the good, we, unlike him, have the capacity to sin. Our depravity causes us to sting Sting even those who have come to save us. There is a fundamental difference between the nature of Christ and our nature. As I said, it's in Christ's nature to be gracious. It's not in his nature to sting. And this seven-verse story proves the point. Could you imagine such rich theological and spiritual content to emerge just out of seven verses in one single story? But it hits us right away in the very first line as Matthew tells us that Jesus crossed to the other side. You see, it's in Jesus' nature. 
It's who he is to cross to the other side. Well, what does that mean, to cross to the other side? It means that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee to a region occupied by Gentiles, non-Jews. And Gentiles in Jesus' religious community in that time did not deserve God's mercy. They did not deserve to be included. They were literally other living on the other side. And yet it's in Jesus' nature to go to the other side, to bring the outsider in, to bring the lost home. It's his nature to cross to the other side, to bring good news to all people. It's not in his nature to draw lines in the sand. It's not in his nature to divide insiders and outsiders. That's just the first line. The most glaring difference, I think, between Christ's nature and our nature actually comes, though, in the last line. Jesus Christ, the one who has come to this town to liberate it, to save it, is, in the end, rejected. After he freed the men from their demon possession, after he cast the demons into this herd of swine, and after the swine perished in an act of mass suicide, the herdsmen go back to the townspeople. They tell them everything that's happened. And Matthew tells us that the entire town, everybody, came out and they asked Jesus to leave. We don't want you here. Get going. Go home. Perhaps they considered him to be a vandal, the one responsible for destroying both a source of revenue and a source of food in the annihilation of this herd of swine. Many have uh, used this text as a, a way to make some sort of economic commentary on Jesus' political views about the economy. But the reality is, is that Jesus, while he sends the demons into the pigs, he does not cast the pigs into the sea. It's just not there. He doesn't destroy the pigs. The demons do. Because it's in their nature to create chaos. It's in their nature to do violence. It's in their nature to hurt the economy, to hurt food production, to disrupt this town's way of life. Some of us are uncomfortable with the language of, of demons uh, in the 21st century, and I can appreciate that. But I'm also fully aware, and all you have to do is look at the last 24 hours of news cycle, and we see once again demonic forces at work in Jacksonville, Florida. Demonic forces that have been capitulated with the human freedom and the human will and human autonomy to render chaos and violence and racism in our time. Make no mistake, there are demonic forces at work in the world that human beings cooperate with that bring this kind of chaos that we read was happening 2,000 years ago. It's happening in our midst today as well. The demons chose to be true to their character and create chaos for the people with this swine mass suicide. And perhaps the demons knew that if they sacrificed themselves and the pigs that the people would blame Jesus for this chaos which is exactly what they did. They blamed him 
And because they blamed him, they kicked him out of their town. In other words, they sting the one who came to save them. And it's here that we discover, I think, one of the most profound truths of the gospel. It's one of the most profound truths of Christ's amazing grace. His desire to honor our freedom at the cost of us rejecting him. Honoring our autonomy at the cost and possibility of us rejecting him. The people asked Christ to leave and he left in peace. He did not call down Gabriel or Michael, the archangel, to wreak havoc on this disobedient town. He did not promise that the trials of Job would soon be upon them. He simply got in his boat and left because it's just not in his nature to sting. But it is in his nature to forgive. It is in his nature to be gracious. And even though today many of us have asked him leave certain, if we will, neighborhoods of our lives, maybe our relationships, maybe our marriages, our partnerships, our friendships, maybe our financial lives, maybe our uh, inner life, maybe our social lives, maybe the things that we've done in secret, we've asked Jesus to leave. He will come back if we but just ask him. He's ready to say, Father, forgive them, for it is in his nature to be for us. It's in his nature to be gracious. It's in his nature to forgive. And it's in his nature to want reconciliation between us and God. It's so much in his nature that he's willing to endure the cross to make it so. I want to close with this story. Uh, Reverend Peter Miller uh, left his native Germany in 1730, left for the New World. He arrived in Philadelphia and then headed to Lancaster County. Some of you know Lancaster County as uh, Amish country. Uh, many Germans, uh, German immigrants, settled in Lancaster County as well as the topography reminded them of the rolling hills of the German landscape. He went to pastor a German Reformed church in a little town called Ephrata, still exists in Lancaster County. He was very well regarded in Ephrata, but he was also well regarded in the larger Philadelphia area. He counted many leaders among his friends, including General George Washington. The record's not clear of what exactly happened with Reverend Peter Miller, but he vacated his pastorate 14 years after it began, in 1744, he vacated his pastorate at the German Reformed Church and became a Baptist. He went to pastor the Baptist Church. And upon this move, there was one particular deacon in the old church, the Reformed Church. His name was Michael Whitman, who was so enraged at the pastor for this decision to leave their theological community for a new one, that he gossiped about him. He made it his, life, his life's mission to undermine his ministry and the ministry of this Baptist church. On two, in, on two occasions, rather, in fact, uh, Whitman engaged Reverend Miller, the pastor, with acts of violence. One was, was more subtle as he spat on him in public and another, when they were in the town square in Ephrata, he literally punched him in the face. 
The preacher, though, never retaliated. This is what the history books say. Miller endured it with Christian fortitude. He never spoke a cross word to or against Mr. Whitman for his shameful conduct. Now, Whitman owned a few hotels. That was his profession. He had some guest houses in Ephrata. And on one occasion, two men took up residence in one of these houses, and Whitman happened to be there as they arrived. One thing you need to know about Whitman is that he was a loyalist. He was loyal to the British monarchy, and he supported the British cause in the colonies. He was also a blabbermouth and loved to talk about his politics. And he started talking to these two men about his political views on the revolution and on the British monarchy. He was sharing these ideas with these two strangers. It turns out that these two strangers were in George Washington's inner circle. And they arrested him, charges of treason, and they had him shipped to Valley Forge where Washington was. And when he arrived there, the case was made and he was put to death for the, act, for the crime rather of treason. Meanwhile, Reverend Peter Miller heard the news. He grabbed some of his supplies. Uh, and, and as soon as he heard that, that Whitman was taken to Valley Forge, he made a 36-mile walk from Ephrata to Valley Forge. And because he was friends with General Washington, he was able to get a hearing with the soon-to-be president. He asked Washington to pardon Whitman. And Washington responded by saying this, I'm sorry, I cannot grant your friend a pardon. To which the pastor responded, General Washington, he is not a friend. He's actually my worst enemy. He's the furthest thing from a friend that I have. The history says that Washington was so moved by uh, Miller's uh, desire to see his friend relieved from this sentence, or for this enemy rather, relieved from his sentence, that the general couldn't help but to commute it and pardon him. He gave the pastor a, a pardon letter, but as it turns out, Whitman was being hung in Westchester, another 16-mile walk. And immediately, Miller walked to Westchester, and he, he gave the pardon to the authorities, and Whitman was released, and he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that his enemy, the one he had stung so many times, the one he had mistreated, the one he despised, was the one who saved him. He embraced the pastor, and they walked home to Lancaster County as reconciled friends. I think this story speaks to the truth of what Christ has done for us. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it in his correspondence with the church in Rome. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. You see, friends, it's in Jesus' nature to cross to the other side. It's in Jesus' nature to find the lost and to bring them home. It's in Jesus' nature to find the outsider and to bring them in. It's in Jesus' nature to forgive. It's in Jesus' nature to reconcile. And it's in Jesus' nature to come back even if we've asked him to leave. I don't know where you've asked him to leave in your life, what neighborhoods of your life 
you've kept him at bay, you've asked him not to be a part of, but I do know that you can ask him to come back. And the good news of the gospel is that he will. For his grace truly is amazing. And so is his love for you and for me and for this world. In his name, amen.